The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Good morning. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Here are the stories we're following today. The United Nations says humanitarian operations in northern Gaza will effectively cease in the next 48 hours. Ed Baxter is covering that story and has more from the 960 newsroom in San Francisco. Ed? Yeah, Brian, that is the alarm that's being sounded for sure. The U.N. says it will run out of fuel to get anything in or out. This will affect the Al-Shifa hospital, which remains surrounded by Israeli troops. U.S. President Joe Biden saying today the hospital must be protected. My hope and expectation that... uh there will be uh, less intrusive action relative to the hospital. Yeah, he says must be protected. Israelis uh, say Hamas has extensive tunnels under the hospital, but says it will supply fuel to try and keep civilian operations open if asked. Meanwhile, U.S. State Department spokesman says Hamas, this is Matthew Miller, says is Hamas is hoarding fuel that could be used. If Hamas truly cared for the people in Al-Shifa and in other hospitals in the north, it could take the fuel that it's using to protect its fighters and, diver- and send it to the hospitals. And meanwhile, the EU has officially condemned Hamas for using the hospital as a human shield, but also saying Israel needs to use maximum restraint. Meanwhile, more fire between Hamas and Hezbollah militants aimed at U.S. bases in Syria and Iraq, and U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says the U.S. is responding. These strikes are intended to disrupt and degrade the freedom of action and capabilities of these groups which are directly responsible for attacks on U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria. He says the U.S. will do whatever it takes to protect forces in the region. Critical 24 hours in Congress attempt to keep the government funded going into the weekend. Democrats have responded today. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, well, he's leaving the door open. For now, I am pleased that Speaker Johnson seems to be moving in our direction by advancing a CR that does not include the highly partisan cuts that Democrats have warned against. And Bloomberg's Jonathan Tamari says a potential path forward. But they're certainly not slamming the door. You saw Senator Schumer say that he's pleased with some aspects of it. We saw President Biden saying he's open to it, which is a big change in tone from what his press secretary said last week. Uh, Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries in the House has said that they're evaluating it. The government would shut down. It would occur at midnight on Friday. San Francisco Mayor London Breed has called on President Xi Jinping to cooperate to stop the flow of fentanyl into the U.S. Breed exclusively on Bloomberg. In order to ensure that this deadly poison that is killing people in San Francisco in significant numbers and all over the country, that we're able to combat this. Now, this is San Francisco host APEC this week, and U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan says the issue is on the table. We're hoping to see some progress on that issue this coming week, and that could then open the door to further cooperation on other issues. 
Yeah, Breed says uh, this is an issue is critical and could lead to further cooperation then down the road between the nations. Global News 24 hours a day and whenever you need it and want it with Bloomberg News Now in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter. This is Bloomberg. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. One of the questions that we'll have for guests all throughout the morning is with the Chinese economy losing steam, does Xi Jinping have less to dangle in front of Joe Biden? And we'll be getting to that. But we look first here at the economic backdrop in China. Weak credit growth and other recent data show the nation's economic recovery is losing momentum. Bloomberg's Yvonne Mann has the story from Hong Kong. The People's Bank of China reported the flow of aggregate financing was $254 billion. That's less than half of September's total. It missed estimates of $270 billion. Economists have been looking at loan demand as a barometer for China's economic recovery. But the housing market slump and low corporate confidence have led to relatively slow credit expansion this year. Meanwhile, three independent surveys saw consumer demand falling in October, and that's even as Beijing rolls out new fiscal stimulus. In Hong Kong, I'm Yvonne Mann, Bloomberg Radio. We've been talking about the APEC summit in San Francisco. That's where leaders from nearly two dozen countries are gathered. Today, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen addressed the opening sessions. She said finance ministers will discuss the global and regional economic and financial outlook. And she went on to say APEC members share a big responsibility. APEC members represent some of the fastest growing and most dynamic economies in the world, driving both growth and innovation. So the actions we take matter, not only for our own economies and people, but also for addressing the global challenges the world faces. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen there, she went on to say the APEC countries are refocused on longer-term priorities. That would include strengthening financial resilience and advancing fiscal reforms to build economies over the long run. Yellen also said finance chiefs will be speaking about the long-term role that digital assets and blockchain technologies can play. Brian? Well, the Dubai Air Show is in full swing now with a number of deals coming on the event's first day. Boeing, for instance, won an order of 90 of its 777X jets from Emirates Airlines. That sale is valued at $52 billion. Emirates President Tim Clark says despite geopolitical uncertainty and a slowing global economy, travel demand is strong. I'm a great believer in demand for travel 
globally being very strong and robust, more so now than pre-COVID. This is the paradox, which gets everybody offsided. More people are traveling, more people are traveling more often and paying higher fares, yep. and still they keep coming at us. That's Emirates President Tim Clark. Separately, Airbus confirmed that it has reached an agreement in principle on a major order from Turkish Airlines. NVIDIA, the most valuable chipmaker, is going all in on its artificial intelligence chips. That story from Bloomberg's Tom Busby. NVIDIA is updating its popular H100 AI processor, adding more capabilities to a chip that has fueled its dominance in the artificial intelligence computing market. This new model, to be called H200, will have the ability for high bandwidth memory known as HBM3E so it can better handle large data sets, the ones needed for developing and implementing AI. Amazon's AWS, Alphabet's Google Cloud, and Oracle's cloud infrastructure have all committed to using the new chips starting next year. Tom Busby, Bloomberg Radio. We're hearing that unionized Starbucks baristas plan to hold their biggest strike yet this week. Thousands of employees at hundreds of sites will mount one-day work stoppages November 16th. That's according to the union Starbucks Workers United. The union says Starbucks has illegally refused to negotiate in good faith over issues such as staffing and scheduling. In an email, Starbucks said it's the union that is refusing to fairly negotiate. Uh, the week strike will coincide with Starbucks Red Cup Day, a popular promotional event when the company gives out holiday-themed reusable cups. Starbucks shares, by the way, closed down 0.8% in New York. Well, several Wall Street banks are sharply divided over not only the timing, but the aggressiveness of Fed interest rate cuts. We have that story from Bloomberg's Ann Cates. On one side are UBS and Morgan Stanley, which are predicting deep reductions in interest rates in 2024 as inflation cools and the economy stalls. But analysts at Goldman Sachs are expecting fewer reductions and a later start. Fed Chairman Jerome Powell has already signaled that the tightening cycle may finally be over. UBS sees interest rate trimming beginning as soon as March, while Morgan Stanley pegs a June start. Goldman Sachs is forecasting cuts to begin in the fourth quarter of next year. In Washington, Ann Cates, Bloomberg Radio. 11 minutes here past the hour. Brian Curtis and Paul Allen. Many thanks to Doug Krisner. We'll see him a little bit later. Let's get to our guest right now with uh, this CPI data coming soon. Michael McKee, Bloomberg International Economics and Policy Correspondent. So we're looking at um, uh, CPI, at least uh, the annual rate uh, to slow to 3.3% in October, uh, annualized rate from 3.7%, Mike in the right direction, but no mission accomplished from the Fed. Oh, absolutely not. And the fact that the headline will decline is largely a function of energy prices. So the Fed's not going to be impressed with that. The core rate is expected to come in up three-tenths for the month, the same as the month of September. And the year-over-year for the core isn't going to be falling very much, uh, (laughs) coming in exactly the same as September, 4.1%. So the message, at least according to the consensus forecast, is more work to be done, mission not accomplished yet. Yeah, and Mike, uh, another phrase we're getting used to hearing is a a long way to go. That's uh, Jay Powell's words. Uh, Let's have fun trying to define long. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that is something that he's been asked quite a bit, and he doesn't uh, he doesn't bite on that. They want to see inflation, at least as measured by uh, the other major indicator in the U.S., the PCE, fall into the twos and be moving that direction for a couple of months. CPI generally runs 
two, three, four tenths hotter than PCE. So we could extrapolate out. If you get a 4.1% on the core rate, you'd be somewhere in the high threes on the PCE. And that's not good enough yet for the Fed. So how long does that take? Well, I've asked them. Have they modeled this out? Uh, The only one who's given a sort of direct answer is Rafael Bostic from the Atlanta Fed, who says he thinks second half of next year. Yeah, and it really does show with a lot of big uh, investment banks and how how diverse their views are about when the Fed will start cutting and by how much and how long. It looks like uh, you've got uh, some incredible estimates from uh, camps like UBS and Morgan Stanley, and then others um, are looking at um, you know way out until uh, 2025. I wanted to ask you about this poll that was done in terms of the investor response, 22V Research. Uh, showing that 36 are presenting that the market reaction will be risk-off, 31% see risk-on. But generally speaking, that investors don't feel that um, that the inflation measure is on a Fed-friendly path. What are you sensing? Uh, it is, at least according to the consensus, on a kind of a neutral path. But I think what will happen is if we get a uh, move up uh, uh, stronger than expected CPI, then you do have definitely a uh, risk off situation because then the betting is going to be that the uh, December rate increase comes back on the table. Uh, if it goes down a little more, you probably don't get as much of a risk on reaction because that's sort of already priced in and risk on in this case means the fed stays on hold it doesn't mean they're they're going to be cutting yeah i seem to remember having this conversation before maybe towards the end of last year that we were going to see the fed cutting this year we had the same conversation in australia about the rba stopping cutting and starting easing it just hasn't happened do you you detect a whiff of uh, wishful thinking in all of this Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Most of the people who are on trading desks grew up during the age of zero interest rates. So the fact that rates are this high and it's a different kind of investing and they may not come back down is not something that they are enjoying at all. So they would prefer to have uh, the old days of free money come back. But when you look at the surveys that are taken, and I did a couple of those today, last year at this time, the the forecasts for the U.S. economy were vastly different than they are this year. Uh, Things change so much within a year. And of course, Paul, you saw in Australia how the RBA decided, well, maybe we can be done. And then inflation jumped again. Fed does not want to see that happen. It seems like consensus has been wrong a lot over the past uh, 18 months or so in looking at the U.S. economy. Why is it so difficult to forecast? Well, it's always difficult to forecast that far out. You, you know, you're you're assuming an awful lot. And just think about all the geopolitical things that have happened in the world in the last year. Uh, it's very hard to figure out what they're going to be and what their impact is going to be. Uh, and then uh, we've had such an unusual period after the COVID virus that uh, the economy has not behaved in ways that the models had said they would. And so economists, and that goes for the Fed and other central bankers, are still trying to figure out what's likely to happen. And uh, as somebody said, stuff keeps happening. (laughs) 
Well, it's funny that. It's almost like, uh, you know, we live on planet Earth. Um, just I want to, before we let you go, get some thoughts on wage pressures as well, because we're just hearing that uh, Starbucks baristas may be the next group to go out on strike. We've had the UAW and the Hollywood writers uh, settle their disputes. Uh, what are wage pressures looking like right now? They're actually better. They've been coming down. They're not quite where the Fed thinks they are sustainable. Uh, about uh, three and a half percent annual gains were in the fours now. But uh, the thing to keep in mind is that while all these union settlements get a lot of uh, publicity, it, union that unionization in the U.S. workforce is very small compared to what it used to be. So it doesn't have the same effect. So it is possible that uh, the, the baristas could get more money and that it's not going to have a major impact on overall inflation. Mike, Mike, just uh, real quick on uh, the way that uh, rents are read by the Fed's data seems to fall afoul with a lot of economists. Can you explain that in 30 seconds? <laughs> in 30 seconds. Yeah, well, basically, sorry. they used to they, they used to just measure house prices. But the problem with that, the uh, economists found, is that it doesn't take into account all the other costs you pay when you own a house, the upkeep and maintenance, uh, the interest payments that you make on your mortgage. So what they try to do is incorporate all of that into a different kind of metric. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcast. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices, just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.